Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Surprise! Did you miss me, Andy? I sure missed you. I told you. We were gonna be friends to the end. And now... It's time to play. I got a new game, sport. It's called Hide the Soul. And guess what? You're it. From the Playland Fire in Sweet Home Chicago to a coming of rage in Hackenslash, New Jersey, we are Halloweenies. And welcome yet again to Halloweenies, a horror franchise podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Lee Ray Gerber, and it's time to head out of New York, where we were for Rive Chucky by way of Canada, of course, and head off for Hollywood by way of Romania for Don Mancini's directorial debut, 2004's Seed of Chucky. But before we do that, let's go around this. Hollywood commissary where we're dining at together and discuss our earliest memories of seed of seed of Chucky and also what our go-to cafeteria food was growing up. Let's start off with somebody. Let me see here. Let's start off with, I'll narrow it down. My brother. Hi, this is Wolfman made in Japan, Mac. And uh, I, Oh, well, the first time I saw seed of Chucky was not, that long ago, honestly, it was probably like five years ago, maybe. I did not watch it when it came out initially. I came to it very, very late in the game, and that's which is strange because I really loved Bride, and I don't know, so I don't know why I didn't take a chance on Seed. But um, yeah, I remember liking it, but not as much as Bride. But um, it was it was very interesting rewatch, having continued with the franchise into the series. 
So I'm excited to talk about that. My my favorite go-to cafeteria food. I mean, we were we had like Papa John's breadsticks and Pizza Hut breadsticks. That I, you know, I don't know how I survived school. I I would buy all of these things like breadsticks and like chocolate muffins for lunch and like squirrel away any little extra bit of you know money I had so I could get something later on. I don't know, you know, a CD or something at the end of the week, you know. But yeah, that that was that was kind of my. I'm thinking like high school. I feel like I was yeah. bagged, bag lunched for many, many years before that. Yeah. And then our parents said, you people are too expensive and just go ahead and get your fucking Here's $3 there. for a bread. Sick of it. They were sick of us. We love our parents. Uh, our next guest, of course, is another Halloweeny, and he's normally in, in the far East as in the far Northeast United States of America. But this time he's just pretty much directly East of Illinois all the way to the ocean, of course. And who is that? This is Dan. You're pissing your pants, Caffrey. And yes, I am in Charlotte, Charlotte, North Carolina, former home. Wait, Mac, you lived there too, right? Just after college, briefly? In Charlotte? Yeah, my folks lived up there, so I was there for about five months. So I'm in the I'm in the former stomping grounds of, of two of the Gerbers here. So and I'm Hollow in Hollow uh, Grounds. Breathing the rarefied air, uh, which is the wildfire air, because I'm getting uh getting some of that smoke it's uh, coming down from the thousand wildfires there blazing in canada no joke uh first time i this this wasn't no bride bride i guess was the first one i saw in theaters i think but seed i saw in theaters it's funny though i've talked about this on the podcast i feel like this was before i was appreciating the genius of the later child's play entries i feel like i was just looking at them as being kind of schlocky and silly at this point um so it wasn't like i was itching to see it but my friend Mikey Meyer, not not Michael Myers, but I, I had a friend in college named Mikey Meyer. Mikey, if, if you're listening, what's up? We just went to the movies a lot together in college. And I don't know. It's funny. I don't really have time for this anymore. I don't think any of y'all do either. But I miss those days a little bit when you just had time to kind of see anything, regardless of whether you – in theaters, whether you wanted to see it or not. I felt like that was high school and college for me. It was just like going to the movies was the social thing to do. So – yeah, Mikey wanted to see Seed of Chucky, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. Why not? Um, it was at the Tallahassee Mall, uh, which is also near one of the Gerber's old stomping grounds. Mm-hmm. was the AMC 20, I think it was called. Yeah, I've been there many times. But, uh, yeah, I saw Passion of the Christ there, and not long afterwards, <laughs> Seed of Chucky. Yeah, and I saw it, and I remember being actually pretty amused by it and enjoying it a lot more than I thought I was going to. But I still don't think I really quite appreciated the subversiveness of it and what it was saying about gender and all the rest of it. I think I just looked at it as a fun kind of kooky horror comedy. And I've, I've really, really, really come around to it even more since then. What was the other question? Cafeteria food? Of course. Now that, you know, Dan, you did keep this one short. Now you can general. probably go along on this uh, one. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, my school did not like many public schools in Florida did not have great cafeteria food, but they had really good cookies, like giant cookies that you mm. got for 50 cents. Mm. And, uh, my dad was a school administrator there for a little bit. So I remember he would, I would always like go up to him at lunch and he would give me an extra 50 cents and I would go get a cookie. And by senior year, I feel like that kind of like Mac, that was sort of like all I was eating at school just because the lunch wasn't that good. So I was like a cookie and then like a, like a brisk iced tea or something like that. But yeah, could the cookies were nice and soft and big at River Ridge high school, middle well, high school. That's why your nickname is cookies. Caffrey. You had an estimated true. by my math. <laughs> 225 giant cookies a year in high school congratulations oh that's 
<laughs> probably exact. Well, in middle school too, because it was I went there for from sixth through twelfth grade. So, uh, two hundred twenty times six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve over seven years. So, oh wow, yeah, so I don't know. That's, that's, a lot the, of that's nearly two thousand cookies. Yeah, I really did have one every single day all through. My I could use a cookie there. right now, but um, unfortunately, <laughs> we we can't. We got to talk about this movie, and of course, we do have a very special guest joining us. Also from a little network called Bloody Disgusting, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm uh gosh, I forgot my name for a split second. I'm Reina Cervantes, lead games critic over at Bloody Disgusting. This is yes. Wait, go on. Oh, I was saying thank you so much for joining us in this episode. And I well, before we get to your cafeteria food and mm-hmm. before we get to even your seat of Chucky early impressions. Are there any child's play video games out there? Because I can't think of any off the top of my head. Surprisingly, no. Hmm. You think with like this resurgence of like old horror IP being like yes. shoehorned into asymmetrical multiplayer games that <laughs> Chucky would get his chance in the limelight. But no, oddly, there's not. From what I could tell, there was like a Kickstarter some years ago and that went absolutely nowhere because I guess it launched around the same time as the Friday the 13th Kickstarter. Uh, and that just kind of fell by the wayside. Loved but, the Friday the 13th <laughs> game, of course. It seems like that's going to be gone forever, except yep, for our memories I, pretty I, soon, I can, if not already. I can see them walking into the, the studio and say, Catherine, you know, <laughs> Catherine, hit me six. Uh, the game has been canceled. <laughs> we don't need your voice for this. Oh, you're oh, oh, Catherine Hicks from Child's Play. Yeah. That's who you're okay. I was yeah, because they I, went I, back I got and got a lot of the second. original voices from the Friday from the Friday films for the game mm-hmm. and stuff. And I, I was just trying to like trying to think of like who they'd bring who they'd bring in that would like people would be like, oh man. Well, Dom Mancini brings everybody back, so I wouldn't be surprised if they would have done that for him. And you know what? Maybe one day we will get that video game. But Reina, for you, what was your earliest memory of Seed of Chucky? Uh, my earliest memory was. I was about 11 when this movie came out, so uh, I didn't see it until it hit the video store circuit, and uh, I rented it from Hollywood Video, because at the time I was just like, I want to see any and all horror films, so I rented it without seeing any of the other Chucky movies, oddly enough. Whoa. (laughs) Um, What an experience. Yeah, and let me tell you, I was not a fan. Uh, I have very <laughs> conflicted feelings on this franchise as a whole. Some may know oh. me online as famously having the greatest like child's play series hot take of all time. Wait, wait, wait can I guess who your hot take is? Y- you can guess, and then I'll tell you. <laughs> all right. Your favorite child's play entry is child's play three. That's my second favorite. Oh wow! Whoa. Wow! So hot wow. take. All right, wow. here we go. Okay. Yeah, I really, really like the third one. All right, wait. What is this hot? Okay, what's your favorite movie then? What's your favorite Charles Play entry? Oh, I love the reboot. Wow! The reboot. Okay. In all fairness, wow. I have this not seen. I haven't I've not seen, seen it either, so I can't. And I, I have, can't wait. I have in. also not seen it, so oh. I will have to take your word for it. Yes, I have okay. not seen it. We're going to be talking about it later on this year. I think most of us will be our first time. So. I can't say if that's a hot take. Well, if I agree, well, if I agree with you on that, I don't know. Who knows? I will just say that I really, really love that one because in like an era where slasher movies are all like CGI blood and whatnot, mm, I feel like the reboot went back to like oh 1980s style kills. Here's like huh. a couple references. 
but it's like very practical gore, great acting from Aubrey Plaza and Brian Tyree Henry. Just overall, I found it to be very fun and my favorite entry just because like the rest of the series never really resonated with me. So when I was asked to be on Halloweenies finally for a Chucky movie, I was like, okay, that'll be interesting. (laughs) Well, it's good because I think the thing about this is we don't always want to just be like all of us either love or hate something. I think that can get kind of stale after a while. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be good. I'm curious to see what our takes on this movie are overall. I don't think I'm, I'm curious to see if it'll be universal. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing that wasn't universal though, is this movie was not made by Universal Studios this time. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I, I actually don't know Mac or Justin's take on this movie. I don't think we've talked about C too uh-huh. much. I also want to uh... say there was apparently an iOS video, when I, I guess, I don't know if you would call it, I guess it's a video game called Chucky <laughs> Slash and Dash, but it's not like a video game video game. It was just like a little... Like a like game a, for your phone? Yeah, I guess. It's not supposed to be very good, but I, I've... That's the only thing I'm, I'm even finding at all. Um, so I, I don't video think game that makers out there. Yeah. You've been challenged. Do something about it. All right. But Raina, what about your go-to cafeteria food? <laughs> What's going on? What were you, what, what was, what was the special at your high school, your middle school, your elementary school? So what was going on? I went to high school in Southern California. Um, oh, here we go. Very thankful to So our cafeteria food was not horrible, my go-to, though, was uh, Tyson Spicy Chicken Sandwiches. Oh, yeah. That's and then, pretty good, yeah. And then they had these little plastic containers that would come with it with, like, pickles and onions and tomato, and I would just, like, load it up with all of the toppings. Mm. When, when I think of Tyson, I think of, like, a, like almost like a rotisserie-style chicken, but was this just regular grilled chicken sandwiches? What was going on? No, uh, breaded, fried. Oh, ooh, fried. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, I, I gotta check out these California high schools. I mean, I shouldn't be saying that. I mean, I you know <laughs> the, the cafeteria sounded terrific at least. <laughs> at least we were having a real meal, right? Like we were all eating cookies and <laughs> giant cookies yeah. well, and breadsticks. I don't know. Senior year, most of my school lunches were at Taco Bell, so I don't know if that's real food. <laughs> wow, that well, I'll I'll say for me in middle school we had this is a Walker Middle School before I went to another eighth middle school for my eighth grade year. They had kind of Taco Bell. They had gorditas, I remember, something along those lines of like giant, you know, double-wrapped burritos. I feel like I had those every day, which I'm guessing is even worse than having 225 giant cookies a year. I'm going to go on a limb and say that wasn't the healthiest lunch I ever had. I'll tell you what. It was always delicious. I do miss those days of eating (laughs) giant tacos and burritos for lunch every day no wonder we were so dead tired in school when you really think about it like we were, we were growing and we were eating yeah. cookies and chicken sandwiches breadsticks i uh, and tacos i mean I, this is what happens i think my body was like craving the protein of that every day because i used like a psychopath i used to run to school like jog wow. and uh i would do like weight training an hour before school and an hour during school and then run home you know what, though? That's the way to do it because you're kind of – you're pumped up, literally, as they say, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the day. And if you start to kind of wind down, you, you have lunch to replenish and then you lift again and and you run home. That actually sounds like the best way to do it. Oh, I was fit as a fiddle, as they say, in high school, but unfortunately not anymore. But Well, I think we all got older. 
This is what happens. We can't we can't <laughs> yeah. run to work anymore. Unfortunately, yeah, literally, <laughs> it's it's a challenge for all of us. I, I think these days, I have to I have to run in my own house. <laughs> oh god, yeah, I'm, I'm having to force myself to get up and go on walks in the office. I'll put it that way. Uh, but my f- earliest memory of Sea of Chucky is I did see this in theaters. I, I was a big fan of Bride of Chucky. Uh, I saw it. I remember I saw it by myself because, as we'll discuss later, this movie was not like a big zeitgeisty hit. So I definitely saw it by myself, and I was kind of mixed on it then. And I'm looking forward to discussing how I feel about it. My God, it's almost been 20 years since that movie came out. If that really wants to make you feel that's old. wild craziness to me. Oh Lord. Well, now we had a moment of despair. <laughs> Let's move on to our next category. No jokes, folks. Talking all news news. It's Steve Christie's bulletin board. Let's go. Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. What are you doing out in this mess? Well, the news is, unless somebody knows about a Chucky video game that <laughs> went to production while we were recording, there's no news. Uh, the majority of, of that reasoning can be come down to the fact that right now, the Screen Actors Guild just went on strike a couple days ago. And, and of course, the Writers Guild of America has been on strike for quite a while. And I think it's safe to say we all support their decision. And we hope that this finds a resolution for both guilds, for both unions. And I hope we find that resolution as I keep repeating myself because I didn't write this down. Hope they find a resolution that works to those guilds and in their favor. I'm not sure if you have any, anybody has anything else to really add to that, but um, no. I saw a, a, a Twitter post of David Duchovny and he had a sign that said, the residuals are out there. Oh, I like <laughs> so it. I, I, a little good bit. signs, I'm sure, out I, there. I, so. I nodded, nodded to that, but yeah, it's wild. I wonder how long this will go and uh, and and the, the, the lasting effect it will have over the coming months in terms of entertainment. I know there's a lot out there already, but, you know, usually we'll see I only know because of I only know because of certain industry podcasts I listen to um you know a lot of people are saying this is going to go until September and then there'll be some negotiations I hope that's it's almost I almost hope that's the case because I've heard even worse than that so but Randy should send uh Chucky in to negotiate oh here we go (laughs) that's it Ryan, have you heard anything or should we move on or? Um, you know, I heard from like a couple SAG members that mm. some of them are expecting this to last as little as two weeks. Ooh, really? that'd be great. Before like studios like buckle, mm. um, which I mean, I could see happening. But as far as I know, everything is up in the air about everything. Like even to the point of like what can you you can and can't do to support mm-hmm. it. And like I saw something earlier that's like, oh, cosplaying as a character is scabbing, and I'm like, like that's not how scabbing works. And I yeah. hope people are starting to understand, uh, doing their due diligence and researching what all of this means. Yeah, because you know because so. there was so much informa- misinformation going on yesterday that like for a brief moment it seemed like oh, every journalist like can't write like a movie review. I for know anything. Uh, the bottom yeah, line I, is if anybody out there is, is is mystified if you really just want to boil it down it's we're in the media and we're not actors we're not screenwriters we're not stepping over the lines in terms of you know 
doing, we're, we're not replacing actors or replacing screenwriters, basically. So we're not scabs. That's what a scab really is. Yeah. So Matt, one more thing. No, I was just going to say, we're not part of the SAG or, or yeah. it, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. I don't think that they would want artists to stop making art that aren't involved in that process. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know it's, I know. it's a whole, a while. there's a lot of confusion going on because of social media. Now, once something gets out there and then it, everybody gets confused and then we realize what it all means. And then most of us move on. Uh, I guess with our lives. So we do again, wish the best to everybody out there and boy, if it's two weeks, that'd be amazing. Yeah. But I'm real. already kind of bracing for this to last a couple months because hooray for Hollywood. And speaking of Hollywood, <laughs> that's the setting of seed of Chucky. So let's talk more about that movie's history in a section that we call Playland toys. I got the strangler, wall bash it, Van Buren! All right, folks, so in our Scream 3 episode, we, we covered the the trials and tribulations over making a movie, a hell, a horror movie, around the turn of the century, the 21st century. Uh, a Columbine massacre caused an understandably outraged society to act in somewhat confounding ways, uh, a lot of people, instead of pointing their figure, their fingers at real life cases um, or real life, the easy ability, the easy gun accessibility in this country 20 years ago, and that still exists today, and real life mental health issues, they decided to go after naturally uh, fake horror movies and people who sing words and songs. Um, this was but one of two reasons why there was such a delay between Brad Chucky, which found a lot of success in both the box office at the time and ultimately home rentals and its follow-up, which is this movie we're going to talk about now. And writer, first-time director, Don Mancini, explained a lot of it in a 2004 interview with Movie Hole. Quote, I wrote the script five years ago, just after Bride, but we got stalled in development hell after the Columbine shootings. Hollywood took a lot of heat for marketing violent movies to kids, and as a result, a lot of horror projects hit a brick wall, particularly at Universal, which, aside another example, sold House of a Thousand Corpses to Lionsgate, end quote. I do vividly remember the House of a Thousand Corpses controversy and that being delayed by like a year before that came out. Now, as for the other reason, in a New York Magazine interview, Mancini says that Universal felt the script was, and I quote, too gay, end quote. They wanted, Mancini says, Son of Chucky, another killer doll. I thought it's much more interesting if the child is completely sweet and innocent and wants nothing to do with that activity. The bottom line is, what if Chucky had a gay kid? To me, that's hilarious. So let's go back in time to, to where we were, not just with horror movies, but with society in general and the film landscape. You're going in to see a, a child's play movie. And you're realizing what the Glenn and Glenda subplot is upon your first viewing. Now, Ray, I know you said you didn't see it in the theaters. You saw it, I guess. When did you see it? That was it shortly after theaters. Yeah, it was. It was still in the new release section. Okay, so it's 2004, 2005, probably then. So, mm -hmm. what was your reaction when the subplot, when it becomes abundantly clear what the subplot of this movie is with Glenn and Glenda? So, for listeners that don't know. I am openly trans. Um, 
So as a kid, I had kind of a not great childhood. Um, and seeing something like that, like on the screen, it was, uh, in a way like reassuring, like almost like it was like, Oh, there is conversation around this Mm. topic. Like this is in movies that I can watch and whatnot. But also it was like, Oh, is the rest of the child's play series like this? Because I'm, I'm the fool that decided to jump in at seat of Chucky. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I liked it. I would, I thought it was funny. I thought it was unique. I thought I, it really resonated me on a really resonated with me on a personal level for obvious reasons. Yeah. And, uh, I will say on rewatch though, I kind of feel a little bit differently about that. And I think we're going to get to that in a bit. I think we're going to, we're going to get to what you might be feeling because, um, yeah, when I was watching in theaters, because the marketing for this movie did not show Glenn, 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 we'll call the character Glenn Glenda because that's what they're pretty much referred to as throughout the series and then to the TV show. But they did not show Glenn Glenda at all in marketing yeah. or anything. So the first time you see them is when they wake up from their nightmare in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so I did not know what was going to be happening throughout the entire movie. And even I was, I mean, I was, I'd seen a lot of movies at that point, but I was kind of stunned that this topic had made its way into what was ultimately a mainstream horror movie. That was the fifth entry of a slasher horror movie series. You know, like I wasn't going to, we weren't going to see this pop up in a Friday 13th sequel, at least at that time, at least that point in time. Um, But Dan, what about you? When you saw this in theaters, uh, what was your reaction? Yeah, it's funny because I don't know. Like I said earlier, it's, I, I think conversations around gender fluidity and, trans people and everything else being like granny was saying just not that it wasn't existing at all back then but definitely not in the way it is now right Mm. and so i liked it as a plot point but i don't think i quite appreciated the gravity of it just being in there do you know what i mean like i I, like i didn't i don't think at, at that time the first time i saw it i was like oh this is some really really different kind of thing that being said i was surprised just at the characterization of glenn glenda because from what I remember, I I feel like the maybe I'm misremembering this, but definitely the poster and maybe the trailers, I felt like marketed it more like it was going to be a baby the whole time, right? Like I think I was yeah. going to think it was more of this, it's alive kind of son of Chucky sort of thing, um, which I think was the original title, which is what Universal too. wanted. Yeah, you know, yeah, 90s, exactly. Because yeah, if you look at all those old Universal horror movies, yeah, you have you know Dracula's daughter, son of son of Frankenstein, they, and and those movies definitely weren't dealing with gender issues, right? Yeah, and I'll be curious about Raina's take too about how a lot of that has aged. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so it struck me as different in that, like, oh, this wasn't what it was marketed as. But I don't necessarily think at the time I was um, informed enough to be like, oh yeah, this is this super different thing uh, that we are not seeing in a lot of modern mainstream horror at the time. Now, Mac, you just saw it for the first time a couple of years ago, essentially. So yeah, like four or five time, years ago. Yeah, but so, but yeah. it was also yeah, so it was already dated. I mean, I feel like that front, that frontier is, you know, constantly been changing in, ter- in the, the term terminology, mm. the way that it's been, you know, handled across multiple platforms. So it already felt kind of dated to me, but I, I guess, and I, and I, I knew going in, see, I wasn't, you know, because I had already, you know, heard about the movie for years after it came out. So I knew that that was part of it. So I wasn't surprised that it was in there. 
I, I guess I was just more surprised that the the that it was just kind of going full comedy, and I was like, if you're going to tackle some a subject matter like this, is this the vehicle to do, to do that? You know what I mean? Like, what do you, you know, because it's the fifth, you know, it's the fourth sequel of a of a horror franchise that's not being taken seriously anymore. You know what I mean? Like, so I just thought it was kind of interesting, but um, yeah, I I, I guess it, to me, I I. I it wasn't a surprise because I knew it was going to be in there already, but in terms of the way they handled it, I guess I was kind of, I was surprised at how the parents handled it in the movie mm. uh, because be, with them being such villains, but them being pretty much, I mean, I guess, you know, it's, see, it's hard because I'm, I am looking at it backwardly from having watched the series and knowing mm. the takes and knowing the way that the characters are handling it now and I don't know if I'm kind of projecting that on this movie now, Good point. but because because that feels very almost like accepting of everything, and not the fight over I want it to be a boy, I want it to be a girl kind of thing. So yeah, so it's interesting. Um, I'm gonna have to like try to keep that cut off because <laughs> that's the future. Well, the but, future holds. Um, I mean, on yeah. top of that, Mancini even said, looking back, he says, "I, I like this movie. I think it's funny." He says the the sin I made was making a comedy where people wanted a horror movie. Brian Shucky yeah. kind of successfully walks a line and perhaps satisfies both audiences. And I lost the horror audience with this movie. And I get that to a, a point, especially you know after, we've been revisiting all these you know at least once a month, so we kind of come fresh in our head, especially going from movie to movie. And I, I can kind of see where he's coming from with that. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the Mancini direction and the writing later on. We do need to get onto this next part here because, you know, the battle over whether or not it was going to be called Son of Chucky, that didn't happen. And after the seed pitch didn't take, uh, the years after Bride found Mancini pitching different ideas. It's a longtime Child's Play producer. We've mentioned him a thousand times at this point, David Kirshner. And returning producer from Bride of Chucky, Corey Sienega. Uh, viewers of the Chucky TV series may recognize a couple of these pitches that Mancini gave 20 years ago. Again, this is what he gave an interview to, um, in an interview to to movie hole. It's funny when I say that movie hole, like that was an actual actual website. Movie hole. Movie hole. They've got a lot of good references on that. Like a freak hole. Y'all ever go to freak hole back in the, I don't know what freak hole is, but maybe you hold that for the end. Uh, ask Dan um, Flieger what free call is. Uh, I'm afraid, now you've really got me curious. <laughs> yeah, anyway, right, I'm well, so Mancini says, uh, quote, <laughs> one notion was to do a parody of Hannibal centering on the sole surviving victim of Chucky bent on revenge. Another was to do a clockwork Chucky. Chucky is somehow deprogrammed. So the thought of violence and swearing makes him sick. And that could be funny. Let's just say that that uh, definitely makes its way into the ch- into the Chucky TV series. Oh, really? Let's just say it definitely happens. I really just gave that oh, yeah. away, but yeah, I mean, the show's been yeah. out for a year, so uh, spoilers are spoilers, spoilers. Yeah. So there you go. It's pretty interesting. It's funny. This is a good point too. I think I'd like to make here is that that episode worked really well for an episode or two. I don't know if it would have worked as a movie. And keep that in mind for my take, maybe at the very end of this episode. Uh, Mancini also told New York Magazine, quote, in Bribe Chucky, we played with road movies and romance. In Seed of Chucky, we parody domestic dramas. As a gay guy myself, it's fun to get that kind of material 
into a mainstream movie in a subversive way. I, I agree with that. I think he did a good job essentially with that. Um, you know, I see so many gay themed movies suffocated by their good intentions. And he cites two movies as an influence. The first is the Academy Award winning Ordinary People. Has everybody here seen Ordinary People? I have not seen Ordinary People. I Raina, have. You have. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mac, you have? Yeah. All right. Raina, do you see any any parallels between <laughs> Ordinary People and uh, 2004's Seat of Chucky? Abs- I kind of do, but yeah, go ahead. I, 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 I get... I guess with the domestic drama aspect, but to me, ordinary people is like so front loaded about like grief Mm. that I almost like can't even compare the two in a way. Yeah. But I do understand like maybe the family dynamics he was going for and being inspired by it. What I had in mind, and I'll get to you, Mac too, is um, anytime Chucky and Tiffany were really, really going at it, especially in front, of Glenn Glenda, that reminded me of some scenes in Ordinary People when Donald Sutherland <laughs> and Mary Tyler Moore are going after are going at it, and young Timothy Hutton is like just losing his mind, you know. And so I got where they were going from domestic wise. Yeah, is his character gay in Ordinary People or, or uh... no? No, his character. No, no, he's not. His it's... older brother died. Okay, it's, and so I knew one was struggling survivor's with... guilt. Yeah, there's oh, okay. a survivor's guilt going on. He, it's 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 a uh, it's a pretty famous movie. It's, I, I I've enjoyed it over the years, but it's not like I'm firing up ordinary people on a Friday night. I'll put it that way, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Matt, what, what about heavy. you? Any uh any any similarities there? Not really. I mean, I can't even. Re- I see. I the parts of ordinary people I remember do not involve the parents really at all. Really. Yeah, I kind of, I it's weird. I kind of have like a mix of like Rebel Without a Cause where the parents are essentially just like trying too hard, but are essentially just kind of like, you know, fine. They're not like, you know, constantly fighting or abusive or anything. They just, they don't understand how to handle a troubled teen <laughs> that's like trying to deal with emotions that they can't grapple it's with. It's basically, it's a, it's a boiler keg, you know, it's, it, it kind of explodes near the end. But there's definitely yeah. conflict there between the the husband and wife and trying to figure out what their son is going through, especially mental health is, is it's tough enough to talk about now. It was even you can't even imagine what it was like talking about 43, 45 years ago. All right. But the next movie that Mancini said influenced him, which is obviously much more apparent just from the title alone, is Edwards, Glenn or Glenda. Has anybody here seen Glenn or Glenda? I know what it is, but yeah, I've never seen it. No, me neither. I saw it a long time ago in my high school film studies class. That is the perfect movie to have in a film studies class because it, it look, it's an Ed Wood movie. If you know Ed Wood, he did, you know, Plan Night from Our Space, a number of really schlocky, poorly made 1950s sci-fi horror movies whose story was told in Tim Burton's Ed Wood back in, I think, 1994? 95 and 96, somewhere in the mid 90s. Let me just read you the description here. And this is literally the description I'm reading verbatim here. Glenn doesn't dare tell his fiance, Barbara, that he likes to wear women's clothes. In addition, this is jarring. Alan is undergoing painful surgery to become a woman. Both stories are told by a psychiatrist. This movie is wild. 
Now, Ray, I'm not sure how much you remember, but they basically have Bella Lugosi in the movie just because it's a name. And so, yeah. do, you, do you remember this part of it at all? It's uh, he introduces it like he's the crypt keeper. You know, he's like in the basement of this house. It's lightning and thundering outside. There's experimentations going on. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the movie is is pretty much a straight drama. Like there's no <laughs> horror elements except for a, a nightmare. Yeah. Um, Ed Wood was famous for shoehorning in Bella Lugosi whenever he could. Yep. Just because probably yep. famous, most famously in Plan 9 when he died mid-production. I know. And one. in that movie, you've got somebody walking around with a cape over their face. Because Pelagosi had already died. So funny. I mean, yeah. you can't make this stuff up. But it's very sad. It's but very I do. Sad, but. but I do remember the the uh, Glenn uh, or Glenda intro with him, and I was like, "What the hell is this? A Universal Monsters movie? Like the beginning <laughs> of a Frankenstein, where he comes out and warns the audience what's going on, and then to just have it play out like a straight." "Quote unquote" straightforward drama. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it was jarring. It's fun because I just watched it for the because I just never watched it. I just I finally watched it for the first time like a week ago. Mm-hmm. And listen, I mean, it's incredibly outdated and again, infamously poorly made. But it's not in the same tone, like I said, of Plan Nine from Our Space. So it is played for drama. Mm-hmm. And it's it's got this really sad, heavy weight about it, too. Because Ed Wood also, I guess I I don't know if he ever identified or if he went by Ed Wood. But also would dress in femme clothing as well. So that's how he kind of got the gig. But so the movie is sad in general. And while the movie's scientific explanations from 70 years ago try to show compassion for the main characters, even that's so outdated, it makes it that much sadder. So it's like you're not going to fire this up with Mystery Science Theater 3000. You know what I mean? It's just not like that type of a movie. It's it's the sad movie to watch in, in many ways. I see I see the connection in the sense that you're going in thinking it's a horror movie and then it's not. <laughs> you that's know? true. Yeah, in it's kind of like this movie. Seeds, seeds like that, you know. So that's the really that's the only connection. And now I again I haven't seen it, but there even though there's a focus on Glenn Glenda and like trying to t- trying to figure out who they are, yeah. essentially it's there isn't like, you know, surgery going on and, and they're very, I guess they're very communicative with Tiff and, and Chucky about that fact. I mean, well, I guess they bring it up in the first place. Right. And then they're confused yep. about it through the movie. So well, everybody's confused about it. Right. In the movie. But, Until but they're talking the about it. It's not like they don't talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's interesting. Now, I will say this, though, and I'll be using, keep in mind, verbiage straight from this old hardcover book, but I did not find anything in Mancini saying whether or not he's aware of this. This this is what I like about this, doing research for these episodes, because, you know, a lot of times you know a lot of the stuff, you just want to make sure, or you discover some fun facts here and there, but then you, you find the real, like, <laughs> tidbits, you know what I mean? This is the stuff where I'm like, oh, here we go, this is something I found here. So check this out. Ed okay. Wood wrote a sequel to Glenn or Glenda in 1963 called Killer and Drag. Now, this is let me read you straight from the book. So this is what it's about. And now let's start talking about connections to Seed of Chucky. All right. So at this point, Glenn and Glenda 
the transvestite assassin serial killer with a fur fetish on the run from both police and the mob buys a rundown traveling carnival and goes into hiding with a small town hooker while his twin personalities, Glenn and Glenda, continually vie for psychological supremacy. I thought it kind of reminds me of the ventriloquist convention or what was what the hell is it? It's a ventriloquist convention that's going at the very beginning of the movie. It looks like a traveling carnival. It looks like an elephant man oh, type yeah. thing going on. It's like with a Sykes. Pinocchio yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And obviously a killer. And so I thought that sounds a little bit more like, and, oh, I should also mention this. I read more about Glenn only kills as quote unquote Glenda, which is kind of what happens in Seed of Chucky. Oh, and they continually vie for psychological supremacy. So, uh, and all concludes, by the way, in the third book called Death of a Transvestite, in which the plot is, and I again read from the book, hero slash heroine Glenn uh, sits on death row and offers to tell his life story in all its sordid detail in exchange for his last wish to die and drag. Uh, these were what we call potboiler hard case books to say the very least. Uh, they were not sold in your local bookstores. To find out more, you can go on any website and get a used copy for like $10,000. But let us know if you do. I was going to say, are these out find. there? Can you get no, them? How many you're not going to go to Barnes & Noble you know and, I mean? pick up, and pick up Killer and Drag. Yeah, but, but this way. day and age, like everything's online. So someone had scanned this thing at some point, you know what I mean? Like Maybe it is, but I, I didn't have any real faith um, and Ed Wood as a novelist after watching some of his films. I, I wasn't going to go down that road of, of Spain days reading it. But anyway, there you go. <laughs> and uh, we should also mention that Mancini also says that Seed of Chucky is, and I think everybody here can agree with this, Hitchcock and De Palma by way of John Waters. I mean, look, it's always hard when you're ma- when you're loftily comparing yourself to artists of that pedigree, right? Mm. But I do see what he means by that because there's definitely a voyeuristic quality that's straight out of Brian De Palma, right? Like even, I mean, I know it's watching a doll jerk off, but you know, seeing those silhouettes (laughs) through the window with the, you know, the shutter clicking. I mean, that is something you would see in a De Palma movie. I feel like, or at least an old school De Palma movie, but then you have John Waters literally being the guy behind the camera. So I, I, I think I see what he means by that. I don't necessarily think it has, well, I don't know. I guess it's kind of Waters-ish. I mean, it's definitely campy. It's knowingly campy. Yeah, um, I would say more in the Waters camp than De Palma. Like De Palma, it's almost more the subject matter rather than the shot composition or anything like that. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. So I I see what he means. I don't. I, and I also don't think Mancini's being so. You know, I don't. I don't know if he's saying this movie is on the level of Brian De Palma. No, he's like not that. saying yeah, that. I think I he's think more. He is, he's yeah. more comparing what's going on in this movie as paying, or you know, if not paying homage, you know, paying deference to Hitchcock's Psycho and specifically the Palma's Dress to Kill. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think oh, that's. Oh, just with like the. Yeah, I think yeah, that's what he's saying. With yeah, the, yeah. the subject matter. Hey, I got to cut in here. Mm. Both of those books are on Amazon. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. They're about, oh, okay. they're about a 200 pages. They're, they're, you can get them. So if you're interested in the continuing story. Are they hundreds of dollars or are they like $10 no, paperbacks? It's like $19.99 paperback. 
Wow. Okay. I got great. my assignment for this month. Yeah, okay, great, Rena. Great, there we go. Special cover. <laughs> disgusting right. exclusive. The 60 year. It's a, you know what? It's the 60 year anniversary. So there's your end. Oh, my. We the love cover, anniversaries. The cover is very good here. Hey, Hollywood, when these strikes are over, get to adapting. <laughs> the long awaited sequel. Yeah, the long awaited <laughs> sequel to Glenn or Glenda. Get Don Mancini back. Maybe we're we, maybe we started something here, and Don I mean, Mancini's do stock is up right now. Like it really is. Yeah, it Chucky is. And right, is. Rightfully is. so. I think I, so. I think yeah. so. Raina, what do you think? Do you, do you understand like where the Hitchcock to Palma comps come in here? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. I like instantly saw, of course, Dress to Kill by De Palma, mm-hmm. given what that movie's about. And then I guess I never really put two and two in my head together about Psycho because I'm like, duh, Universal. Of course he oh, can yeah. rip that off. Yeah, that's right. When I'm actually surprised he didn't rip it off more in this movie. I would have played mm. up. I would have played that up. But uh, yeah, I don't think it's about as wild or brave as a John Waters movie is, though. No, no. And we'll talk about John Waters in a little bit, <laughs> Mac. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, yeah, I was like, have John Waters track those. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I totally, I totally see those parallels to those particular films. And there's a horror film, oh, it's The Fly that's playing during the actual movie. And they have mm. the actual footage from the film, which. As in the original Vincent Price Fly. Right. Which right. is another transformation film, but it wouldn't. Mm. Why? Why not use one of these that you're actually referencing? You know what I mean? Like, well, there's another slight tie-in to De Palma specifically. People love it. People sometimes hate when I do this, but we'll talk about that connection in a little bit. So stick around. <laughs> Get ready. Wait, they hate so, when like, you, in the last episode. <laughs> they hate when you like plant uh, when you foreshadow. They in don't the like last episode. <laughs> yeah, they, people get upset. I. I it, God bless. You know what? We give our takes on movies all the time. If they want to give takes on that, God bless. Thank you for listening. I think it's more that we'll, <laughs> we sometimes will foreshadow and then never go back to it. Well, I, I promise you, I assure you, I will get to this okay. musical connection later on. Dear listener, dear fellow podcasters. All right, but listen, in the last episode we did, Brad Chucky, I did mention that Ronnie Yu, the director of that film, said he was approached to direct the follow-up, which would have been Seed of Chucky, and how surprised I was, given the fact the final cut of Brave Chucky did not involve him. And, well, let's just say, in the research for this movie, I found out that Don Mancini felt the same. In an interview with Dread Central, Mancini says, quote, Ronnie Yu has never seen the Seed script. He's full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you don't want to take my word for it, Talk to David and Corey, the producers of the film. You never saw the script, and it was never an issue. Ronnie, who is a really nice guy and did a really good job on Bride. <laughs> like, whoa, coming back on that one. It's also in his commentary on the Bride DVD, in which he takes credit for casting Jennifer Tilly when he didn't even know who she was. So Mancini's got some obviously conflicted back and forth feelings on, on Ronnie Yu and his involvement in Bride and uh, see if Chucky. Um, so listen, I just had to throw that in there somewhere. We have discussed the world that we found ourselves living in between Brad Chucky and Seed of Chucky, as well as specific works that influenced Mancini. So look, why and how did this movie end up getting made six years later? Well, Mancini stated what many of us know on this podcast. Well, 
fortunately, people in Hollywood have short memories. Things inevitably calm down. And after the success of Cabin Fever, Jeepers Creepers 2, yikes, and Freddy vs. Jason, we immediately went into pre-production at Focus Features, ironically, the art house division of Universal. So, end quote, by the way. Because of this, Seed of Chucky saw a significant slash in its production budget. No pun intended. And this is what happens when a movie is no longer being backed by a major studio, specifically Universal Studios, and not even being backed by a studio within a studio. Because while pre-production was done at Focus Features, it was ultimately Rogue Pictures, the studio within the studio within the studio that finally distributed Seed of Chucky. And we do have, a fortunately for this podcast, we do have our local uh, Rogue Pictures correspondent on this episode, <laughs> Dan Caffrey. Dan, can you give us a history of Rogue Pictures? Yeah, and uh, just try to follow with me, and hopefully yeah. it's not too boring. I did a little bit of research, and I went, this is a lot. I have a lot to do. <laughs> it's ahead. it's very convoluted. Okay, so this is a big deal, because this is the first time since the original Child's Play film that a Child's Play movie was not distributed by a company other than Universal. But that's kind of not true, because it is within Universal still. It's really weird. Okay, let's hear here. I'll just start here. Okay, so this is Rogue Pictures which was founded in 1998 as a genre film label or spinoff, if you want to call it, of an already existing company called October Films, mm. which was itself an independent arm of Universal Pictures. Now, it's weird to me that October Films wasn't considered a genre studio just with its name. You'd think that would be like all horror movies, right? But, but it's, I mean, they had some genre movies, but it wasn't like entirely that. Some of the horror movies that October Films had already done were 1996's Haunted, which I've never seen. Mm. Lost Highway, David Lynch, which oh, I've yeah. actually never seen all the way through, but it's horror adjacent from what I hear. Definitely. 1998's Phantom of the Opera with Julian Sands, RIP. I've never seen that either. So yeah, Rogue Films is operating under this October Films umbrella, which once again is operated under the Universal umbrella, even though I think they kind of you know, siloed Seed of Chucky over there because of the, like you were saying, like, oh, it's too gay. It's a, a being a little bit more different than we want. I think they want it more in the mold of the, uh, the old universal horror films. Yep. All right. So this is weird though, because <laughs> rogue films only stays in this phase, this incarnation for two years. So in 2000, this is before obviously Seed of Chucky came out. October films gets absorbed into USA films during a merger with Gramercy Pictures. Um, if you're not keeping track of this, that's okay. I, 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 for real, like, not even just with this, with any merger acquisition with any film studio, which I, feels, I feel like happens every, like, one or two years, like, and not just small companies, like, huge companies, but, like, Disney owns Aliens, which I didn't know until, like, recently, right? I, th I feel like there's just always mergers and acquisitions going on with everything. So yep. as stupid as all this sounds that I'm reading here, it's all kind of par for the course. Okay, so they have their 1998 for two 2000 is sort of the beginning of Rogue dipping a toe into this horror world. And the final film during that era was Cherry Falls. Have you all seen that, Cherry Falls? Mm -hmm. I was like a cult classic now. I've been meaning to watch it. I still have not seen Cherry Falls. The plot, I, I've, even when it came out, I remember the plot sounding really cool. Is it worth it, Reyna? You said you've seen it? I am a sucker for a not so good slasher film, so I definitely recommend Cherry Falls. But I you're on the right podcast. I yeah. yeah, I will always say that mileage may vary 
its quality isn't as good as others of that era. But I definitely think the concept alone is interesting mm. enough to give it a spin. Yeah, I remember reading, even like as a high schooler, being like, oh, this sounds kind of cool. So, yes, yeah, so you had this very brief era of, of um, Rogue Fit. Rogue, Rogue, am I, I keep saying there's Universal Pictures, October Films, and and uh, um, Rogue, uh, let me make sure I'm getting Rogue Pictures. Uh, yes. So if yeah. I say, pic, if I use Pictures, Films, and Studios interchangeably. As long as you say Rogue, I think we'll, we'll get it down. Uh, yeah, yeah we'll I'll just keep it, it to, the, to the first, uh, yeah, the first uh, word of that. So yeah, so during this period, it's kind of weird because they don't have a ton of genre films. I mean, I guess if you consider action and comedy films, genre films, they have a lot of that. But there's not a ton of horror. It's like Cherry Falls. Um, the, honestly, the main the main movie I know from this era is Orgasmo, the Trey Parker, Matt Stone. Sure, one, yeah. I saw back then. The other films are Thickest Thieves, Trippin', and Boricua's Bond, which I yeah I don't know any of those. I think Thickest Thieves isn't Tupac in that. I think so. Someone yeah, double check that. Vaguely remember this movie. And so it, it feels like a studio that doesn't quite know what to do uh, with itself. So anyway, it kind of goes away for a while. Um, and then the Rogue name gets uh, revived in 2004 after Universal founds Focus Features, which is yeah how this comes back in. And I remember that because Focus comes back later on. So it was meant, it was meant to be a, an independent production distribution company, but it didn't have its own dedicated staff. So you have Rogue operating under the focus features staff which is weird so they're essentially running like two different i guess subdivisions of universal at this point uh and their intent with focus of course was to produce high quality genre films with uh, a mainstream appeal or sorry with rogue not focus all right so here's a question for you guys because this is where it gets interesting with rogue because they actually do have kind of a pretty killer run in the early 2000s do you know what the first film was that they did under this name. It was a pretty notable horror film. Reina is raising a hand. Uh, was it Shaun of the Dead? It was Shaun of the Dead, indeed. Whoa, so, good call. All right. Yeah, so they so they actually have kind of, it's. I feel like after this identity crisis and kind of stopping and starting, they have kind of this murderer's run, uh, pun very much intended, in the early to mid-2000s. Uh, Sea of Chucky, of course, which we're talking about here. They have Shaun of the Dead. Uh, later on, made the Assault and Precinct 13 remake. Cry Wolf, The Hitcher, Hot Fuzz, which isn't horror, but still a success, and eventually The Strangers. So, yeah, your opinions all may vary on those films, but I think those were all pretty, that, more notable than um, Thickest Thieves, Trippin' and Barico's Bond, I would say, but by for the sure. time we get for there. Sure. So, yeah, so things were actually going pretty well for Rogue during this period, and at some point they actually got their own staff. But in 2007, so we're going past Steve Chucky now, they uh, get reorgan- there's a reorganization of Focus, and Rogue just goes back under the leadership of Universal as a whole. And since then, they've just kind of slowly been fading away. Mm-hmm. They do less and less movies every year. They have had some highs. They had Take Me Home Tonight, which I enjoy quite a bit, McGruber, which is a comedy, Catfish. Uh, but then they had some lows like Movie 43, and uh, I haven't seen Shark Night. I'm, pri- I'm like the prime audience for Shark Night, but I've heard it is not great from people. That season of The Witch movie with Nicolas Cage, and then... Oh. Yeah, since since 2011, it's like they had movie 43 in 2013, then this, uh, the Disappointments oh. Room in 2016, the Strangers sequel, I guess, or is Pray yeah. Strangers Pray at Night sequel? I'm getting a thumbs up for Raina. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pray at Night. I I would say is one of the most underrated slashers in like the last like 10 years. 
I, yeah, I love it. It tried to, to save it. Rogue yeah. Pictures. It, yeah, well, it tried. Nobody saw it, but it <laughs> tried. <laughs> well, so that's what's weird because start. So that was in 2018, and I and I feel like I've yeah people have fondness for that movie, right? And then they had this movie Violet in 2021, which was uh, Jason Bateman's directorial debut, which is supposed to be good. Like it got good reviews, and I was reading online that people really love it. But same thing. I don't know if people if it did you know crazy numbers at the box office or anything. Hmm. So it's weird. So it's feel it feels like now they just kind of do a movie every couple of years, and maybe they're getting some esteem back. But so yeah. I know like a little bit about strangers because I worked at AMC as a manager at the time and helped oh, with nice. like bookings. Rogue, I believe, was operating as an independent, like not mm. under Universal or anybody. Like it was just them themselves, like putting it out, which could be like why strangers pray at night, like marketing and distribution like wasn't all that great because i feel like that movie came and went that movie was at our amc location for two weeks tops i want to say and yeah. it was always in one of the smaller rooms no you're right because yeah they so they had one year where they were independent again and that was just for the strangers mm. and then they became a subsidiary of relativity media in 2021 uh which is the violent movie that came out so um Lots of changing hands, but uh, maybe if they're independent, maybe that's why it was good too. I don't know, you know. Like, I I almost wonder if they went independent for that one year just to get it out. Because if you remember, they've been trying for years to do a Stranger sequel, and it took them ten years to finally get a sequel out to that movie from. Wait, you know what's funny is that they've made they, they've either finished all three films or at mm-hmm. least the first film of a new trilogy of Strangers movies. And I believe the first one is going to be directed by Rennie Harlan. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So Rennie Harlan back. It's been a while, but he's back apparently. It's kind of weird because you feel like, I feel like a Strangers sequel in the immediate aftermath of the first one would be kind of a slam dunk. I mean, the first one cost, I can't imagine that much to make, right? Like, let's no, see. of course not. Yeah. The first one cost uh, $9 million, made $82 million. You'd think they'd be all over that. It wasn't like they had to... I mean, they don't have to retain any of the characters other, other than the killers, obviously, from that. But... uh yeah, so anyway, I mean, so pretty much right after uh, Seed of Chucky, um, I think because of all the turnover with Rogue, with Rogue Pictures, Film Studios, whatever you want to call it, you know, Curse of Chucky, which was many years later, which we'll get to in our next episode, that was released by Universal 1440 Entertainment, which is division of Universal Home Entertainment, because as we know, that film famously went to a home release DVD. So this is the lone Rogue Pictures entry. Yeah, that yeah, that's, so that's, that's it. I mean, and I honestly think... Well, I don't know. I haven't checked on. Uh, I haven't checked on Cult or the show. I'm sure they're all in like different. I think those are more point. universal, especially yeah. the, ser- the series. U- universal so. is like proud to display Chucky. Now it was just like this <laughs> weird area era where they're like, oh, we want kind of nothing to do with that. But yeah. yeah, I'm telling you, it was after Columbine because you know they did Bride of Chucky was a success, and then they were just no more horror, no more horror, terrified. Yeah, like everybody was gun shy. They're back in the business. Everything's back yeah. to yeah, normal. We, in our, in we talk a lot about on this pod about that era of horror being interesting because there were a lot of horror movies. Like this is also in the thick of like Platinum Dunes and all those Michael Bay remakes. So it wasn't like they weren't coming out, but there was the you could feel this kind of hesitance. Like they had to really market research these films. Well, uh, yeah, I, I was going to say also this was like the era where Lionsgate was on the rise as an independent with releases mm-hmm. like Saw and Hostel, where these major studios wouldn't touch these movies, and Lionsgate was like, "Oh well, 
we'll put him out. Shit, we don't care. Yeah, yeah well, think about the studios that picked up movies like what Dogma and, like I said, House of a Thousand Corpses. Like these were these people were ready to go because they knew the audience was still going to be there, and they were right, and they were right. Yeah, but it it is funny though because it's it is a different kind of if you would call it a renaissance even, but it is a different kind of era than I think compared to now with horror, where you have this huge mix of like a lot of prestige horror. You have horror specific streaming services. You have all these requel. I mean, I feel like, I feel like horror, don't get me wrong. I don't necessarily think it's in the best state in the world right now for many reasons that uh, I won't get into here, but there is an abundance in terms of like what you can choose from. You know what I mean? Whereas Mm -hmm. I feel like back during this era, there's sort of like, okay, cool. Are we doing this? Are we doing this? All right. Yeah, here we go. Let's take that leap. And among that, you get some greatness. So anyway, that's the, um, the very confusing story of Ro- but I don't know. I, I I feel like I never quite understand mergers and acquisitions in Hollywood studios. Period. Like they all, if you read about any like, it's a nightmare. I can't even imagine dish, uh, what it'd be like having to deal with these mergers, especially when you're dealing with film studios that own the rights to some of their movies, but some of them they've leased off elsewhere, and well, oh, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, look at look at look at Friday the Thirteenth. How many oh, different studios got their already. hands on that? We've been talking about that so much over the last, Christ, six years of our lives at now, this point. And now A24 has it, their hand in it somehow. I'm sure. Eventually, it will be an A24 film. No. Our uh, Oscar is Friday 13th. I can't Crystal, wait. Crystal Lake, the Brian Fuller oh, series. Oh, yeah, because they are doing the show. That's right. Yeah. And that, apparently, the that's happening. That? It's happening. It's, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, right now, it's on hold because of, of the various uh, yeah. strikes so, are going on, but it's it's apparently happening. Yeah. Last I saw, there was like a he posted a photo with like Adrian King and the rest of the writers' room. Like, supposedly, it's really happening. Yeah, we'll she's see. involved in the show. Yeah, yeah, I so. believe. Yeah, I believe she's one of the writers. She's writing like two episodes, from what I understand. Well, that's oh. I know she's writing for the show. Yeah, well, that, she's writing for the show. Wow. Okay. Well, we were okay. They're really giving the fans what they want, then I guess. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens, but we'll, I mean, I'm sure we'll be talking about that a lot. Hopefully once the, uh, the strikes get, um, peacefully and fairly resolved in the, in the near future, hopefully. But Dan, listen, I know you are our local rogue pictures correspondent. I'm afraid you may never talk about rogue pictures again, but we do appreciate all the research you did for this <laughs> I think episode. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've well, listen, done it for a On top of all that, um, if you thought that filming Bribe Chuck in Canada was an international shoot. The majority of Seed of Chucky's Hollywood was shot in, naturally, as you guessed, Bucharest, Romania. And I retrieved the following info of what incentivized the studio to film in this Eastern European country from the great Reign of Chucky book, which is beautiful hardcover book on the history of the Child's Play films. I highly recommend it, like I've been saying every episode this year. Uh, So bear with me as I read this. Uh, The quote is, the project was set up as a joint venture between the United Kingdom and Romania. (laughs) Pre-production and post-production would take place in the United Kingdom with the actual filming set for Bucharest, Romania. This arrangement, this is important, everybody, this arrangement enabled the project to qualify for sizable tax rebates while also enjoying a drastically cheaper labor market in Bucharest, which could be up to 80% cheaper than Hollywood labor. Like 80% cheaper. That's crazy. 
And among the stipulations of this co-venture was that at least 65%, that's two-thirds of Seed of Chucky's budget, had to be spent inside the United Kingdom and that its cast be primarily made of UK talent, which explains the casting of Glenn Glenda, by the way. That's why it's Billy Boyd. How about that? And on that note, with the history on the movie studio in which this film was shot, our local Castell Film Studios correspondent, Mackenzie Gerber. Mac, take it away. Well, Castell Film Studios goes back to 1992 as a film studio and production company started by Vlad. I'm going to murder this. Go for it. Penescu and Charles Band of Full Moon Films. That's right. (laughs) The franchise that created (laughs) subspecies, my boy Radu, and uh, other films like Transfers 4. I don't know, I'm just throwing that (laughs) out there. But here's a, okay, I'm going about this a little differently, uh, Dan, but here's a, a list of pictures filmed out there, okay? Pumpkinhead 4 and Pumpkinhead Ashes to Ashes, Return of the Living Dead, Necropolis, Fright Night 2, 2013. Hmm. The Scorpion King 4, Quest for Power. <laughs> Anybody seen that? Oh, I missed it. I'm pretty sure Billy Zane's in I didn't Zane's see two or it. three either. I, I didn't see one. Think, I'm pretty sure Billy Zane is in part four. <laughs> Dracula 3, Legacy. Uh, Dracula 2, Ascension. Pulse, Mirrors, Hellraiser, Debtor, and Hell World. One day we will cover the Grand Hellraiser series and all its glory. Feel free to take the Hellraiser franchise. Oh, those those movies. Oof. Oof. All yours. And Oof. the Nun. Oh, however, wait, the Nun. That one's nun. good, actually. Hold up. The nun. <laughs> Are you saying the the wait? The shot, Nun is in some '90s version of the Nun, or the, the no, no, the new Nun, the Nun. Oh wow! Congratulations to Castle Film Studios. Made a lot of money, probably. <laughs> so. It started in 1990, 1992. Um, Charles Band, it, most, mostly full moon features, mostly horror movies for the first five years of its inception. But then they went on to kind of dabble in other things. And this is now, granted, this is out now. One might say Seed of Chucky put them on the map because shortly after that in 2010, or, or no, you got Cold Mountain. Wow. Was shot at 2010's Ghost Rider, the Hatfields and McCoys. I get, I love how Hatfields and McCoys, which is like so so like Western. American history, was shot in Romania. Hey, eighty percent, you know, budget cut. You know, it's pretty good. I, I hey, I know. Hey, I'd be going there too if I was getting. You know, if it's that cheap. 2011's Highlander Endgame and Backdraft Two, uh, I've which I've subtitled Back in Chicago, which <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I read about Backdraft too. I I was um. It's it's like a legit direct sequel, which is really funny to me. Is it William um, Baldwin in it? Stop. Yeah. Is it <laughs> is really? It yeah. Old it's on Netflix, Baldwin. I think. It's just sitting oh there. Oh, my yeah. God. I might watch that, actually, just to see that. Yeah. yeah I would have called it like, Back to Draft or something like that. That's what I would have called it. I think he's William Baldwin's like like the old mentor now. They, they have to go see, but he's like, I knew somebody and, like you. He was a real yeah. hothead. Yeah. Two Back like to Draft. But I'm telling he's you, it's, it's sitting there. I don't love the first backdrop. I mean, I think it's like a funny movie, but I, yeah, I don't yeah, think it's that it's great. Fine, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Good fire. And, and let me just say, in, in 2000, <laughs> Princess of Thieves, Kira Knightley made her debut at Castle Film. 
Wow. And uh, and it was and it was most likely Cold Mountain and Miramax's decision to shoot there that started getting them a little bit more notoriety in terms of Hollywood starting to recognize, hey, we can make cheaper films over in Romania. But uh, yeah, that's pretty wild. That's it. That's all. That's all I got. That's hmm. great stuff. And I know that basically all of the, I think the interior and exterior of the character Jenner Fratelli's house is actually inside of the giant film studio that they've got there, the lot mm-hmm. that they've got there. Yeah. Um, and they just had lights off, obviously, for night scenes. All of that was shot inside of a soundstage. So, and maybe you can tell a little bit that the budget's been cut in this movie. I think, I think it's, it's a little apparent. Mac, I'm not sure if Castell Film Studios is going to come up again until we, of course, get to season 33 of this podcast in which we cover all the subspecies films because we'll absolutely be going back to Romania oh, for that. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, returning producer Corey Sianiga had this to say in Ray of Chucky regarding the overseas shoot that I, that I got to share here. Quote, there were certain things that Bucharest and Castle offered in abundance. Fantastic artists, artisans, and really great materials. They built the entire mansion inside a soundstage, interior, exterior, all of it. I'd never worked in a soundstage that big before. But then there would be simple things that just weren't readily available, like post-it notes or limos or palm trees, which turned out to be this completely ridiculous adventure to get. There were also horse-drawn carts on the lot. They weren't there for a show. It was just practical for the environment. End quote. And that's for Mancini's debut as a director, which is where we can pivot here. Sienega says, quote, I almost wish Don could have taken it a little easier on himself during shooting in Romania, which was challenging for a lot of reasons. He never wanted to feel as though he was unprepared, so he was overprepared all the time, end quote. And she goes on to say, you know, his attitude did not get projected onto the rest of the crew. It's just that she had a lot of sympathy for him. So I asked the three of you this. You know, we've been talking about Don Mancini and his involvement and in essentially creating the franchise with his Blood Buddy script back in, it was like 85, which is almost 20 years before Seat of Chucky. So he's been waiting for 20 years to become a director and he gets to direct something he he actually created, essentially. How do we feel about Don Mancini's debut as a director? Dan, what do you think? Well, it's funny because <laughs> I feel like I forget that this is his first movie usually because mm-hmm. I so associate him with the whole franchise at this point. And I think this isn't the first time I've said this, but I think a large part for me for this franchise's success is the fact that he's been attached to it for so long. And But I forget that that wasn't in a directorial capacity until from this movie on. I think he kind of knocks it out of the park. I don't know. I'm, I'm curious because we still haven't really talked about how we all feel. Well, Raina has a little bit, but uh, I don't know how you guys feel about the movie, Justin and Mac. And so I, I think this movie is definitely more funny than it is scary. Like I actually laugh. I, I'm kind of weirdly more invested in all the Tiff and Chucky bickering and the red man and Jennifer Tilly, like weird casting couch flirtation, but also the movie making fun of how they're kind of at that time. We're kind of like second tier stars in a weird sort of way like that. I, I, not that I dislike any of the the violence or anything, but I feel like Mancini weirdly has a knack, like is really showing a knack for comedy here, which I guess makes sense given how much I like the Chucky television show and and Chucky. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like the TV show is a much more successful synthesis of both 
being really freaky, but also really funny. But anyway, yeah, I almost feel like I'm I'm gravitating more toward the sense of timing. And I know this sounds weird, but the relationship building in this film, rather than it having these great scare set pieces, which I think Brian Chucky probably does a little bit better. So yeah, I think he I think he rises to the occasion. I I, I this isn't directorially so much. I don't think the contemporary references, like the '90s references, work quite as well. But I feel yeah. that way about Bride. Also, it just it like dates it a little bit, especially because both this and Bride or are more indebted to older films from decades ago. I feel like the the kind of like Fred Durstness of it all. Yeah, but Brit, Brit, Britney transcends, right? Oh, the Britney. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's oh, true. God, that's yeah. That's what, I, and that's mainly what I'm talking about. I yeah. I usually <laughs> even forget that parts in the film. It's just it's like. It's just like, little, oh, I don't know, Britney Spears. It's jokes. like naked gun territory, you think, is a little too too far? Yeah, and it just feels a little Or even like scary movie. Yeah, it just feel mm. I felt like a little pat, like a little reference driven, um, especially for the time. And I don't know, I feel like looking back to it was just like Yeah, making fun of Britney Spears it just felt a little overdone and lame back then, I think, you know. So yeah. But anyway, but, but I don't know. I don't know if that's a directorial choice as much as more of a writing thing. We wrote it too, so there you go. Yeah, so yeah, so there you go. So, so I, I think like outside of that, trying to capture the zeitgeist of it all, uh, that part falls a little bit flat. But yeah, I think I think he, uh, hey man, he knows how to uh, he knows how to capture those two dolls at their best. Like I feel like the scene work there is pretty excellent. So yeah, I, I dig it. But I'm I'm interested to hear what y'all think because I really have no clue. Well, I'll, I'll go here. I mean, I think I think he was a victim, like like Corey Sienega was saying about you know, the stress of it being his first movie, having to go overseas, yeah, Stranger in a Strange Land, being limited by the budget especially. But I do think it's very um, audacious in parts. I think the opening, which is supposed to be kind of like a one-shot, like Halloween, basically, with little Glenn Glenda's nightmare going on with the, the POV of killing everybody. Like, I was pretty impressed with that sequence I, I don't know, even to this day, I think he's just a better writer and storyteller, and at this point, showrunner, of all things Chucky. But I'm not sure, at, at least at this point, how great of a director he was. Because, you know, say all you want about Brian Chucky, but like Ronnie Yu is, is an established director. And that movie also had a terrific editor who went on to be, when, you know, an Academy Award. And this movie's editor... I'm sorry, this movie cinematographer, I should say, no shots, uh, was coming off of I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. And I'm not sure if that did him any favors either. Yeah. But I, so I'm kind of, I'm on and off with how I feel about his direction in this movie. Now, there's a movie coming up in the series that I'm, I'm much more impressed with, which we'll talk about probably next month. Not to give it away. But Rain, I'm curious, what, what did you think about the direction of this film? You're not as high on the series um, to begin with, so I'm curious to see what you had to think about, what you have to say about the Mancini here. No, um, I think in retrospect, like going back and rewatching it, to go from Bride to this is so jarring because, like you said, you have Ronnie Yu directing that movie, and that movie's like ultra slick. The editing's really good. It like it has like a distinct style. This is just kind of uh, like I don't think the blocking's all that great in it. Like it, I can definitely tell it's like a first time like director. Mm. It's it's directed better than anything I could ever make for sure. But yeah. I'm still I mean, like not that much of a fan of it. And even his writing here too, I'm just like, oof, like what is going on in this movie? Like from a retrospective lens, 
I don't know. Sure. I, I, yeah. I, I guess I could say, um, in retrospect, pretty bad all around. Now, oh, Mac, what, what about you? Yeah, it feels really junior. I mean, I, 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 I think I was watching it thinking that it was clear that it was someone's first outing. I did not realize it was Mancini, though. I just wasn't thinking about that uh, during the movie. I was probably writing down a note or something, which obviously I think has come very far uh, in the recent days. But it didn't bother me so much. I just felt it kind of felt like it fit the movie. And I feel like it was it felt like it was borrowing, like you were saying, from like the Halloween aspect in the beginning mm-hmm. and just the way some of this stuff was playing out just felt like it served the movie. It didn't, it didn't, I don't know. It always felt like a cheaper movie, but I, I think I just chalked that up to it being like another sequel kind of thing. I think another way to look at this and Dan, you may be feeling the same way is I, when I watch this movie, I think to myself, this would have been a good season premiere of an episode of Chucky. Yeah, it definitely does have. And like I said, I do like this movie a lot. It, it, sound, yeah. it sounds it sounds like I'm the only one here who does. So fuck off. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> no, okay. producer Caffrey no. over here. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I, I think it gave the people what they wanted, and they all loved it. Uh, and we're trying to tell, <laughs> we're just trying to tell successful stories here. That's all we care. No, um, we're not making hamburgers here. We're making steak. You know. Yeah. No, but I do. I do think it had, and it's weird because it does have that cheapness to it a little bit. And part of that's mm-hmm. the setting. Like we're in that kind of LA McMansion that looks like a, a porn set, you know, I'm not saying there's sex stuff around just there. I don't know. I feel that, that way about some shutter original movies. Like I like a lot of the shutter original movies, but you're like, okay, they filmed this in like a cardboard house kind of thing. Right. So it has that, it has that cheapness to it a little bit for sure. And I totally agree with like, like Ronnie, you is, is like a hot shot. Um, I mean, I mean like a bona fide action director, right? So mm-hmm. in Bride of Chuck, you're getting those knife fights in the graveyard and all that, and there's not really anything on that level here. I do think as Mancini went on, because if you look at Curse and Cult, they also have that kind of cheap quality to them, but I think that's just because they didn't have a ton of money invested in them because Chucky was sort of building the brand back up at that point. Yeah, true. It's not because of Mancini's direction or the composition. Like, there's actually some artists are some artistry going on there. So... I do agree that, like, you know, there there is maybe some a, a little bit of an amateurish quality about it. But like I said, I don't know. I do think he, I do think he handles the scene work well and the the comedic aspects of it. Um, which maybe that's not what also what some people want out of a Chucky movie necessarily. Um, whereas as time went on, I think he got good at both of them. So yeah, I, I agree about the the Chucky uh see the the first season premiere of theme Chucky. Although I would say, and I'm trying to think of the the season premieres we've gotten so far of Chucky. And they're probably a little bit more flashy than what we get here. Maybe I'm wrong. I think, I think they are, but I think, you know, it's been, it's crazy to think it's been 20 years since this movie's come out. And so we just got a little more, a little better. And he also didn't necessarily direct all those episodes either, Dan too. That's the other thing is he was show running and writing a lot of it, but he was yeah, not directing a lot. So. Again, like if you're starting the franchise here and you, you go through, Seed, curse, cult in the series. This feels mm. absolutely like part of that. And so the direction itself, even though it seemed amateurish, it didn't phase me. It felt absolutely in line with like the Chucky series and stuff. So it didn't pull me out of the realm of the world. It felt like it just it belonged in that portion of the franchise. So I actually enjoyed the dance. Dan, I'm not 
I didn't hate the film. I'm just going <laughs> to say I enjoyed it more this time watching it, but that's only because I've seen the rest of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. now I know we still get Where it's going. We still get horror again in the next film. We get we get horror. It's just more well balanced as you mm. continue. I think there's comedy there, but then there's also really like we're killing kids and you know stuff like that. So <laughs> it's it, it's just when this came out and you, all you have to base it off of are the first four films. It's drastically much more just a straight comedy. And I was able to allow myself to just enjoy the, the humor of it this time. And so a lot of the Jennifer Tilly stuff like really felt like really landed for me this time. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. But we'll keep talking about it, obviously. We'll, we'll we talk about Jennifer Tilly shortly. So, so from what I gather is that I definitely need to go and watch those later movies in the TV series, right? Because I would say so, Rain. I'm, I'm curious to see what you say because I think – I mean, the TV series, I think, is quite good. And it's got good yeah. reviews, too. And there's a really good balance. And there's more to do. There's more to explore. And it's I think it's almost easier to distribute it the way they're distributing it now with, you know, 45-minute episodes a week as opposed to waiting every couple of years for, like, a 90-minute, maybe serviceable movie. See, so I'm one of those fans that's, like, stuck in the past. I'm like, oh those original three movies ride and seed I didn't really go like past that so yeah i mean if, if seed is your oh. favorite i think you'll really like what's coming next because they definitely lean more into i think ray you said seed did not like seed though no, so this is no that seed was your first you just didn't you didn't like yeah, it. Okay, yeah but oh, yeah. but but if seed is a blueprint that Mancini builds upon and like keeps refining into this formula that works. I mean, I'm totally down for that. That's I, I, not, he he absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. He does. He okay. definitely this is he does not dismiss this movie at all. At all. Uh, no. Okay, yeah. See, because I'm down for that, because I think Seed has like some really good ideas going for it. It's just yeah. its execution on like every front. I'm just like, oh, good lord. <laughs> it feels like a test run. Like I said, unfairly knowing what we know now, it feels like a test run for what was to come. Well, I can tell you right now what was to come for the box office back in November of 2004 after a couple delays. Let me give you the rundown of the November 12th weekend box office from 19 years ago. Number 10 of the box office. You, you all can nod or say, yes, I've heard of this movie. If, if, you, if it sounds familiar, Alfie. Yep. Sorry, Jude Law. Yes. Remake okay. of the Dudley Moore film, right? Uh, close. Uh, Michael Caine. Um, yeah. Mike, she was only Arthur. I'm thinking old. of Arthur. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> no, that's Russell Brand, but that's that's a couple years to come. <laughs> All right, number nine. This is not a question, but a movie. Shall we dance? Yep. Uh, Five million dollars with Richard Gere that's and right. Jennifer Lopez. Nobody. Okay. Yeah, I've and, seen it. Uh, you've seen it, Mac. <laughs> I've seen scenes from it. <laughs> Oh, I do know. I, I do know the trailer, <laughs> but I do know the movie. I mean, you know. All right, cool, cool. Randy, you mentioned this one. This is where horror was at this time. Number eight. It had been out for a little while, but number eight saw eight million dollars. I the know box that office. film. Yeah, never, never heard of it. Never. <laughs> 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 we'll fill you in later. Another horror movie. Another movement here. A lot of remakes were going on at this time. Coming at number seven, eight million dollars as well. The Grudge. American remake uh, with yeah. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah. Yep. Original, good. Remake, you know, 
the remake. Man. Number six at the box office opening weekend, Seat of Chucky. Number six, Yikes. $10 million. $10 million. Number five, here's what beat it. Ray, $11 million. <laughs> Bridget Jones, The Edge of Reason, $12 million. After the Sunset, $14 million at Brett Radner movie. Yeah, with Salma Hayek. Anyway, congratulations. Okay. Number two, <laughs> The Polar Express. Ugh. A horror movie. million. Dollars. Yeah, yeah a horror movie. <laughs> it's a horror movie. movie. The yeah. downfall of Zemeckis. That's like if, Zeme- if that, it's like if Zemeckis went the the Cameron route and just started just only made those types of movies from here from from Polar Express onward. He basically that's did. What it felt, so, that's what it felt like for a while. I was brutal. like, no one wants this. Just shoot live action stuff, I, please. I like his Beowulf a lot. Uh, I will say that. Uh, oh, I haven't yeah. seen it. That one's yeah, good. I think I think that's aged really well too. But that, that I don't know if other people feel that way. I like it. it hasn't gotten oh. its. Yeah, yeah. Me and Rainer are gonna do a um. Right, we'll teach you out. Right, well, you and Rainer can I'll, do I'll your Beowulf podcast. Check out Beowulf, yeah. Maybe I'll watch it for the first time after I listen to the episode. It's got a lot of interesting ideas. I yeah, well, it's, listen. I it's, a, it's a wonderful tone poem from a thousand years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know some of it. Okay, number one at the box office: The Incredibles with an incredible fifty-eight million dollars. And that was 20 years ago, so you can only imagine how much that would be now. So, long story short, when you consider inflation over the years, the adjusted worldwide box office for Seat of Chucky comes to $31 million, which is, to this day, the lowest grossing of the Mancini timeline, Chucky films. And might I add, the last of his movies to be in theaters. Uh, the remake aside, obviously. So it's been 19 years since this Chucky it's been in theaters, and we probably will never see it in theaters again. What do you think about that? Kind of weird. Or will we? Yeah, it'll come to the box or something. No, you fool. I mean, like a new movie. <laughs> I'm okay God. with Chucky not being in theaters anymore. I think, like, I think with the TV series and the reception of it, they pretty much have a lock, like, on like the TV sphere, which sure. no other slasher has. I agree. Unless, of course... A24 and Brian Fuller deliver with Friday 13th coming 2028 <laughs> or hear me out. MTV brings back scream finally. Well, they, man, you know, what's funny. We never did episodes on the scream TV series, even though I watched the first season and there were like oh, three I, seasons I, of it. I noticed, I noticed y'all didn't cover the <laughs> she's TV. Like, series. She's like, I'm out of here. They're not <laughs> yeah. covering scream season. Are you, three. are you a fan? It's over. Is it good? I, I am a big fan big fan of season one and two um season three where they brought back actual ghost face i was excited for but it was terrible they famously dumped it like on a saturday night they dumped like all four episodes or something like that it was really on weird h1 yeah not even well, MTV. i think we will have to do an episode on the making of all three seasons because it's definitely fascinating because it was we on should for do a while. at least yeah. we should do at least one episode i feel like on this I, we don't have to do well, an episode for every episode but yeah i, I feel like also, that that show like doesn't get its due because um, Ty West directed episodes. Yes. So did um, the director of the Fear Street movies. Lee, Lee um, oh God, can never say her last name. You're gonna murder me if I don't give this right. But at least I got the first name right. Lee, somebody help me. I'm looking. I'm looking. It's Lee Janiak. Oh God, I can sleep tonight. Lee Janiak. Okay, we got it. We got it. Yeah, so they directed episodes of that series, so it's not poorly directed or anything. It's just, I feel like fans couldn't get over the hump of, like, 
oh, there's no ghost face mask. There's no Roger L. Jackson. These are all new characters. But then you hear like the unused concept for season three and how it was going to tie back to the movies. And I just get sad that they never went forward with it. Well, man. Well, it's just like a behind the scenes of the Halloweenies, but we should maybe look into doing an episode of this in the future. Well, there's, not, there's going to be another Scream film, and there'll be opportunities. You're right, where, and you know we can I mean? do it. When there's another Scream film, probably exactly. two years from now at this point, with everything going on. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>